you know, I, I, I always had a little bit of a hard time thinking of my grandpa as a, a Nazi. Yeah. But then thinking back and understanding that he wasn't a Nazi in that way. He didn't believe in it. He was forced into it for a very short amount of time at a young age, 16, 17, you know, 15, 16, 17, where a young boy that's told, oh, you get to have a gun. Hi guys, it's your girl Nahama, your favorite Jew from the Lou. Welcome back to my podcast. So here we are, episode three with the lovely Maria. Welcome, Maria. Hi guys. And so today I want to give a little background about Maria. So on a personal note, we worked together in the office. Mm -hmm. And just before we even like officially met, I saw you from afar and I was like, wow, she's so tall. (laughs) She's got legs for days. She looks like a model. And I just, there's so many people in our office, but there was something Mm -hmm. about you that always intrigued me. And every time that we would have like our little water cooler conversations, Mm -hmm. I'd always learn something new and interesting about you. But there was one particular conversation that I actually mm-hmm. overheard and I had to jump into because I was like, this is gold, mm-hmm. which was when you told me, and we're just going to jump right into yeah, it. let's do it. You said that your grandfather was mm-hmm. a Nazi mm-hmm. and your grandmother was Jewish. Yes, that is correct. That intrigues me on so many levels. Mm-hmm. I have told quite a few people in my life about <laughs> it and... They are not very happy with me that this episode isn't airing for another few months. Okay. (laughs) Right now, it's early June when we're recording this, Mm -hmm. but it will be quite a few months before this is live. Exactly. But um, I'm just going to let you take the lead and tell me how did enemies turn to lovers give us all the tea? Yes, absolutely. So um, kind of starting with my family history, um, my grandfather is Dutch. Um, he is from Harlem, which is a small town outside of Amsterdam, and uh, his entire family were just kind of a group of sea merchants. Um, they spent a lot of time at sea, a lot of time on boats, and um, he was the youngest of seven children, and uh, his family was just kind of very wealthy in the area, um, very well-to-do, but uh, you know, once the Germans, the Nazis, came and kind of conquered um, the Netherlands, as it were, they recruited any... Um, Um, families that didn't have any Jewish heritage that they would consider, you know, that Aryan, as it were, um, to serve in the Nazi youth or in uh, the Nazi forces if they wanted to or not. Um, So it's not that he necessarily believed in the, you know, the Nazi or that kind of Aryan way of thinking, um, but he was forced into it because if you didn't join, then your entire family was murdered. So it wasn't much of a choice, but he was kind of drafted into the Nazi youth at the time, and uh, he went through his training and, uh, you know, kind of learned how to shoot guns, learned how to do all of these kind of things that I think at the time would have been very appealing to a young teenage boy. You know, you, you get to play soldier. Um, and I don't think he really understood the political connotations or what he was even really being trained to do. But once he then started actually serving in the forces, um, he told me many years later, and these stories were always difficult to get out of him. Yeah. Um, I think it's you know, still very emotional many years later that uh, the first time he was told to you know, kill people, it was a Jewish family. And he had grown up with Jewish families in Holland. Um, Harlem has a very high Jewish population still to this day. And um, he refused. And, you know, he was reprimanded and uh, told to move aside, which he did. And he was told again a few days later to commit another 
I guess, murder, you know, call it what it is. And um, he again refused. And because he refused, he was actually sent to a concentration camp outside of Munich um, that is still there today called Dachau. And um, he ended up basically serving some time in that camp, but he was young. Uh, I believe at the time he was about 16 or 17, and he ended up escaping from the camp. Um, several years um, ago when he was still alive, um, we actually ended up going to visit the camp together, and he showed me exactly where everything was and, and how he managed to exit and escape. And it was, as you could tell, very, very difficult for him, but it will always mean a lot to me that he you know, was able to share that memory with me. Yeah. But um, he escaped around 1944, 1945, so towards the end of the war. My grandmother, on the other hand, um, her name is Hannah Laura, and she was born in Vilnius, Lithuania, so very, very far on the other side of the world, uh, or Europe, I guess, in this case. Um, and her family had this idea that you know, the Nazis were spreading, they were conquering, so they knew that they were going to you know, kind of head up towards them very soon, and they were a very large Jewish family, very proud of their Jewish heritage. And her mother at the time said, well, the Germans aren't going to be looking for Jews trying to go into Germany. They're only going to be looking for Jews trying to flee Germany. So uh, her mother, very smart woman, had my grandmother, Hannah Laura, and her two younger sisters walk from Lithuania all the way down to Stuttgart, Germany, which is the same town I kind of grew up in. And um, they ended up working in a factory there. Um, and she was right. The Nazis weren't looking for Jews coming into the country. So they were able to have, you know, false IDs and work in the country. And they were largely left alone because they kind of worked in the factory and kept to themselves as a family and abandoned their Jewish practices. Um, however, when my grandmother was 16 and my grandfather, Simon, was 18 after he was released or escaped from this camp. Um, this camp is in Munich, which is about two hours away from Stuttgart, and somehow they managed to meet each other in the middle. And um, my grandpa said that when he saw my grandma, he just fell hopelessly in love immediately. He said she had this you know, beautiful long brown hair and these brown eyes that just could see right through his, um, his bullshit is what he used to say. Um, so uh, he, you know, dated her as much as they could date in post-war Germany, very recent post-war Germany, um, and asked her to marry him. And she, you know, of course wanted to marry this very dashing young blonde Dutch man. And uh, I did she know? Yes. She did know. Yes, she did know. And um, I How think... How old was she? Because you said that her mother and her sister, they all left behind their Jewish practice. Mm -hmm. So how old was she when that happened? I think she would have been probably around 14 or 15. So very young. Yeah, very, very young. So still, you know, the formative years where that's kind of what you cling to. I mean, my family in general, we're, we've always been raised with a very strong belief in, in our religion. Um, and my grandmother still to this day speaks Yiddish wow. um, and still observes, you know, kosher laws. And um, she doesn't, you know, go to you know, services, but she's still in her cooking. You can see the heritage, um, yeah. you know, the way she acts, um, the words she uses, um, what she yells at us when she's mad at us, you know, it, it's still all there. So um, just understanding the way that, you know, she was raised and having to abandon that entire practice, um, I'm sure was very, very difficult for her and not just abandoning it, but then having to hide it. 
Um, and then meeting this guy that, you know, she fell head over heels for. And then, you know, probably somewhere along the line realizing, oh, my gosh, he served, even if for a short time, the people that, you know, are the reason that I'm here. Right. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, I always had a little bit of a hard time thinking of my grandpa as a, a Nazi. Yeah. But then thinking back and understanding that he wasn't a Nazi in that way. He didn't believe in it. He was forced into it for a very short amount of time at a young age, 16, 17, you know, 15, 16, 17, where a young boy that's told, oh, you get to have a gun. Oh, you get to be, you know, in a uniform. You get to be cool before social media, before anything else that would have told him what that party actually believed in and what that actually meant. Um, but then when there he was, was no one back then no, to tell them, no, they were there was so nothing. indoctrinated. There was so much propaganda. Exactly, they were rewriting the history books, and everyone who would have spoken out was sent to a concentration. Exactly, camp. and so there was a lot of fear. Exactly, and it's not even that you know now we we have the power of information. Um, if if I vote for a certain party, I have the privilege to be able to research every possible point of view for or against that party. Back then, it was, like you're saying, so controlled through fear that, you know, they weren't going to tell you the first day, hey, you're going to, you know, sign up to be part of this war. And if you're on this side, you're going to have to kill everyone who doesn't look like you just because we say so. Um, But I've always been very proud to be part of the family because, you know, immediately he chose to go to a concentration camp and, and, you know, basically choose to possibly not live because he was refusing to do what they asked him to do and back then that also meant that you know his family could have been in danger you know they they could have killed his parents they could have killed his brothers that were also in the service but it was so important to him to say no I'm not doing this that he just chose to you know make his fate basically um and then meeting my grandma you know having the honesty to say yes I did this but it you know it got me here and now it got me to you um, was kind of just something beautiful and romantic I always loved. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, I think then the kind of kicker for me was always my grandpa has always been a rascal. I mean, just everything, even towards the end of you know his and my grandma's life, um, he would still kind of try to grab her, or tell her she was beautiful, or you know, I and, love that. and it was just it was so sweet. Yeah. And um, you could just always see that love, and she'd always say, "Oh, stop, Simon!" But she'd always be beaming, you know, and. Um, what really ended up kind of, I think, fusing them together in a way is that when her parents found out who this Simon was, they said, absolutely not. You're a good Jewish girl. You are not marrying this man. We just went through this war. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, and his family was gone at that point. He had you know, no knowledge of where they were. He didn't know if his wow. parents were still alive. There was no way for him to communicate. It was just him. Um, and he kind of told her like well here's an idea your parents are saying no but if I get you pregnant they're gonna have to let us get married so may not have been kosher <laughs> as it were but um he got my grandmother pregnant with my mother mm-hmm. and um I looked for some pictures for them but uh there's there's an old wedding picture where my grandmother is just a little bit showing and it is very clearly their wedding day and he's beaming and she's beaming and her parents don't look too happy about it, but they are just madly in love. Um, and they ended up having my mother and two more children. Yeah. So what I think is so powerful about their story as well is that you hear a lot of times people say they fall in love mm-hmm. and then it's like, 
a summer, mm-hmm. maybe a year or two, mm-hmm. you know, but the fact that it lasted a lifetime, mm-hmm. I mean, how many years were they married total? Oh gosh. Um, that's actually a funny part about the marriage too. They, they were married for, I think about 20 years. Um, and then they ended up kind of getting a divorce and going separate ways. And then five years after the divorce, I don't know if one of them just said, what are we doing? But they ended up going back together and spending the rest of their days together. So um, to me, it's just that inseparable connection that, you know, maybe they just had that one big fight where, you know, everyone in their relationship probably has at some point and says, I I can't stand you anymore. But even after that fight, they were like, what are we doing? We we got to be together. Mm -hmm. You may not even know the answer Mm -hmm. to this, but do you know what caused the divorce the first time? I don't. I I really don't. And, you know, they never talked about it. It it was um, when they came back together, it, it was like it didn't happen. Wow. Yeah, which I thought was, again, you know, beautiful. Um, And it kind of carried over to our family, too. So um, when you look at um, my mom, my aunt, and my uncle, they're all, you know, blonde, blue-eyed. We have a lot of my grandma's features in our face, um, but, like, our our eyes and our hair are very much from my grandpa. But um, my family's so multicultural. Um, My cousin is, you know, half Jewish in our blood, but then her father is half Pakistani. Um, and you know, Muslim, so very, very unique blend. Um, and we just, we kind of have a little bit of everything in my family. And I think it's because my grandparents created this really safe space that it didn't matter what religion you were or where you came from. It's just about, do you love this person? Yeah. Okay, great. Be together. So that's really powerful. Yeah. It's fun. What do you think? creates like a love like that do you think do you really believe in the concept of love at first sight or do you think it's that they worked on it because I think I'm a romantic Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people in their heart of hearts are as well but Mm -hmm. maybe life has not given them the opportunity to meet someone Mm -hmm. because just a side note like about my parents both my parents were married before they met each other Mm -hmm. and both of them said that they both kind of knew that their first spouse wasn't really it Mm-hmm. But at the time, there was a lot of social pressure to get married. Mm-hmm. But then when they met each other, and this was later on in life, yeah. they both had that same feeling that you're talking mm-hmm. about, where they're just like, my mom describes it as like a train coming, rushing at you, and you know it's just kind of hit you, and there's nothing you can do yeah. about it. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's a really great way of describing it, actually. Um, I would say, I if you have asked me four or five years ago, I would have said there's no such thing. You know, it's it's being at the right place at the right time and, you know, maybe having the same friends and that kind of thing. Um, I was married before my husband and um, I got married really young. And I think at the time I thought, this is what I need, that this person is what I need. They're giving me, you know, they're checking my boxes. Uh, they're giving me security. We get along. We don't kill each other too often. Like it's working. Um, and then I, I realized that, do I really want to go through life with it's working? You know, like, wow. is, is it, is it just, is it, it's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. And at the end of your life, do you really want to say like, was it, it was okay. And that, that's not, you know, what they write these great love stories about. And I think that's also where I am, this romantic, where um, I met my husband at a photo shoot. And, you know, the kind of the, the number one rule at a photo shoot from a model to a photographer is not to fraternize. You know, you keep it professional. Yeah. And um, I remember the first shoot that we, we shot together. It was very professional, but um, we spoke about it a couple months afterwards. And both of us said that immediately it was just like, I, I know you, 
you know, I've never met you before, but somehow my soul recognizes yours. And it's very strange when you're kind of, I'm, I'm a very like cold German, non-emotional person. So for me to actually feel this like, oh my gosh, like, I think that's my husband, like in just kind of this weird way, um, it, it does exist. I think if you're just like, let yourself open up to that, um, then it will happen because I, you know, I saw him a couple days later and again, it had that same feeling and I'm really glad we both listened to the feeling. Yeah. So. That's really incredible. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, nice. it's cool to see how like throughout the generations in different ways, there's different relatives who've mm-hmm. had that experience mm-hmm. with someone. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we're kind of the same in that way where in my family, I have seen so many couples who've had their soulmate, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like when you've seen it in real life, you can't settle for anything less. Agreed. Agreed. Because I, I think a lot of times too, it, it's not even that it doesn't make sense. And those are the ones that are, in my opinion, the best. Like when I met my husband, it it didn't make sense. There there was no reason that it should work. It was probably the worst time in his life for that to happen and the worst time in mine. But we both knew that that's what it was and that's what it was going to be. And we would do anything to basically make that happen. And yeah, when you've seen it, when you've experienced it firsthand or you've seen it with other people, you don't want to compromise for a, it's fine, you know? Yeah. So, But I think something to note um, is that unlike hollywood or the songs Mm -hmm. or you know your fictional romance books yes you might have that feeling and that feeling is what helps yes but you still are gonna have normal everyday ups and downs oh gosh you're still gonna have major ups and downs Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to like navigate through but Mm -hmm. it really comes from like having that feeling plus both being in it to work through every challenge that comes your way agreed Agreed very much. I think also when you have that person, then it's not just about the romantic connection. I mean, the romantic connection is great, but I think something I saw in my grandparents, um, something I, I think I echo in my marriage and I've even seen in um, my mother's marriage with my father and just a lot of other couples I know that have kind of had that same thing is that you're first and foremost friends. Um, I think I actually mentioned to you this one time at the office that, you know, even if I'm really upset with my husband, I want to go talk to my best friend about it. And my best friend is my husband. So realistically that, you know, we're always going to find that commonality. Um, and I think that's, what's beautiful when you find a soulmate, it's really your soul recognizing its counterpoint in another. Yeah. I just sound like a hopeless romantic, but (laughs) I I feel like it's very like reassuring to hear so many people who I know have this experience because mm-hmm. it just reaffirms that it's worth waiting for. Yes. So it's out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And it usually happens right when you're not expecting it and you're not ready. Mm. It's like looking both ways when you cross the street and instead of getting hit by a car, you get hit by a submarine. Ah. Yeah. Well, like my bay <laughs> and me is not like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but I also would love to talk about your own cultural background mm-hmm. because you grew up having like a dual citizenship yep so you started off grew up in san diego mm-hmm. until you were five years old yep and then you moved over to germany yes so can you share that part of your story yes so my parents are both language teachers um, my mother grew up in stuttgart germany and uh, my dad grew up in austria and then the uk Um, he was a little bit older than my mother, so he actually was displaced during the war. His mother was also Jewish, um, so they, in that region of Austria, ended up sending their children to the UK to protect them during the war. 
Um, so kind of grew up with these multicultural parents that were both language teachers. Um, they contracted for the U.S. Army, and because of that, we traveled kind of all over Europe. So I had a lot of travel in my childhood, but I think because both my parents spoke multiple languages, they instilled this kind of love of foreign culture in me and the respect for a lot of other cultures that just because other people aren't the same as us doesn't mean we can't learn a lot from them and we can't respect that. So I wouldn't trade my childhood for anything. I mean, I had friends that were Jewish. I had friends that were Muslims. I had friends that were Christian um, and from all over the world. I mean, I, I would say at eight, I had a friend that was a Turkish Muslim and a Muslim, a Muslim that was from Dubai and oh, wow. getting to understand their different traditions um, and then how they clashed and didn't clash with some of my own family's Jewish traditions and Christian traditions. Um, it's really invaluable. And I don't think I really appreciated it until I was older um, because I would kind of understand things uh, and then be able to kind of rationalize them in my head and say, oh, I remember this from when I was little. So having that kind of upbringing really helped. Um, we moved to America when I was about, I think, 14 or 15. Um, my half-brother married a girl from St. Louis, and my parents wanted to be here to watch them have babies and, and everything. Yeah. So my dad ended up becoming the German teacher at Lutheran High, and my mom taught me full-time at home and homeschooled me because she was worried that if I would go to public school, I'd lose my languages. So she was probably right. Um, but I was kind of that nerdy homeschooler for a little bit. Um, but I ended up going to school at Lindenwood in St. Charles and then got my undergrad there and my master's there. So I want to pause mm -hmm. and ask about that because I'll talk about my experience in a second. But mm -hmm. what was that like to go from one culture in Germany, which is like mm -hmm. Europe, very different than America, yes. then to come back here to St. Louis, Missouri, of all places, mm -hmm. and then to still be homeschooled for the next few years mm -hmm. and then end up in college. Mm -hmm. What was that like? I it was rough. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, I yeah. would say, you know, going from, in Germany, homeschooling is actually illegal. Um, so illegal? yeah, you, you cannot homeschool your, oh. your children. You can go to private schools. You can choose to go to, you know, a Christian Jewish or different schools. Like I went to a Waldorf school, which is more of like an arts-based school, um, which I loved. I, I loved. It was great. Um, yeah. I'm definitely more of an artistic person than a math person. So it was really good for me. Um, but I think coming from that type of education, having a lot of friends, being very social, to kind of just being by myself here, um, it was a really stark contrast. It kind of hit me in the face. Um, but I think looking back, there's pros and cons. Um, I think it really helped me to be more independent. Um, I feel really comfortable by myself. Um, I, in some cases, I think I can be a little socially awkward because of that. I, I enjoy being by myself more than being in a room full of crowded people. Um, but I think it also has its benefits. Like during COVID, I, I didn't go completely stir crazy. Yeah. Um, but it helped. Um, I think as far as my education went, you know, I, I finished school a lot quicker um, in some ways. But in other ways, I was kind of behind. When you're a homeschooler, you don't have the privilege of, you know, labs and you know learning certain levels of advanced math so some things i had to teach myself um, some things were just really hard to comprehend if you don't have you know a basis to kind of learn on so i think in some ways it was really challenging figuring out what areas i was lacking in um, because you don't really know what you're lacking in until you kind of 
are faced with it and then you have to massively backpedal to try to make up the difference um but I think it kind of taught me a lot about myself um I'm not a very patient person but I think it taught me over and over again that I really need to work on being patient so just kind of you know taking it on the chin and learning that there's some things I don't know and that's okay and I can choose to make them up or I can choose to excel in the areas I do know so that's really powerful I mean we actually mentioned briefly before the podcast started how mm-hmm. um, where we're where we're playing right now mm-hmm. we're playing. <laughs> it feels like play. It is. Where we're recording is uh, my apartment, but mm-hmm. it's also my childhood apartment because mm-hmm. I still live at home, and I've lived here since I was twelve years old, mm-hmm. and I'm now twenty seven. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, I I think I'm a homebody. I mm-hmm. love family. I love being at home and. And you were saying like, oh, you're so lucky to like have that stability. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, yes, like mm-hmm. there is something so special about it for sure. Mm-hmm. But also like I went to an all Jewish Orthodox girls school. Mm-hmm. I went, I knew the same people my whole life. I was in the same community. And like I said, it was an all girls school. So mm-hmm. the first time I went to college, I went to art school. Yeah. So you could appreciate that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, but it was co-ed. That was the first time that I had guys in my class. Yep. And so not only that, but also being in class with people who weren't Jewish and people who came from all different kinds mm-hmm. of backgrounds. And some didn't even have a religion. Most didn't even mm-hmm. like have any religious affiliation. That was such a culture shock for yep. me. And so I think that's so amazing that you have that experience at a young age to be open-minded and to learn from everyone. Because mm-hmm. really that's the whole basis of this podcast Mm. i want to talk to different people from different backgrounds who's had different experiences Mm -hmm. because that's how you learn yeah when you talk to everybody yeah exactly you didn't just like talk to them you actually experienced it yeah i i I think the thing for me is i didn't really have a choice and what's interesting is i guess i guess the universe kind of just made it happen that way because if i had a choice i would not talk to anyone i would just shut myself in the room and kind of find my quiet space um i'm surprisingly very shy and introverted so it does actually take a lot for me to kind of put myself out there but I realized that the more I just kind of listened kind of what you were talking about before we started the podcast not just talked about myself believe it or not I really hate talking about myself as much um, but just you know listening to other people and hearing where they come from and their stories and then understanding that you don't always have to compare and contrast yourself to other people it's okay to just see them for who they are and then just kind of be who you are as well and just appreciate all the different cultures yeah so. but I will say I think your background and all your experiences have helped because I've noticed that no matter who you talk to or what situation you're in you have something to contribute thank you which is Try. really unique because you and it's not just one of those oh hey I think I have an opinion but really my opinion doesn't matter <laughs> you mm-hmm. you actually have real experiences because mm-hmm. you've had a very unique lifestyle mm-hmm which I think is super cool. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about your education a little bit mm-hmm. because, so you went, so let's jump right back in there. So you mm-hmm. went to Lindenwood. Yes. And then what did you study while you were there? Um, so I studied uh, a Bachelor's of Arts in Business. At that time, I was in my first marriage and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I know I was knew I was good at organization. Um, I think that's the German in me, you know, just very one, two, one, two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started by studying business and I just figured, well, this is, this is what it is. Um, and I wasn't invested in that part of my education. Let's just put it that way. Um, it was just kind of checking the boxes. And at the time, my parents didn't really 
again, culturally, didn't plan for an American education. In Europe, it's all paid for. It's all included. Um, college? It's, is college. All... It's, it's basically free okay. um, because it's, it's a socialized society in that way. So you might have a little bit of spending, you know, your books, paying for your living situation, but realistically, they don't have the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we do in America to pay for college. So anybody can get into college? If you're a European citizen, yes. Which... Is there a certain... You know, just like I'm mm-hmm. thinking about like American colleges, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the certain Ivy League schools that you either have to have like a ton of money or mm-hmm. connections or be incredibly intelligent, yep. whatever it may be. Is there some sort of process they have for deciding who goes to what school? Yes. Um, okay. You basically take um, kind of like your your exit exams, um, your last couple of years in high school. In German, it's called your Abitur. Um, and it's it kind of lasts your last two to three years i'm not too familiar with the process because lucky me got to skip it because we were already here at the time but it's kind of like the german versions of your sats you take verbal and written tests and then based on those scores it defines what kind of school you can get into um but like my cousin for example he's brilliant he's really really good at uh, biology so he started his um, schooling at a very high-ranking university in ulm in germany um, but it's because he got fantastic scores in math and chemistry and all the things that he needed to do to get into that school. So it's all based on merit. Yes. Yeah. Not based on who you're connected to or how much money you have. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to say there aren't some wealthy families in Germany that could probably help their children achieve certain scores. Right, like get better education Exactly. Too. Yeah, or, or pay off some teachers uh, here and there. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, um, but in my cousin's case and, and you know a lot of friends that I have's case, they, they did actually just earn their scores and then they attended the different universities. But my parents, I think, from early childhood were counting on me going down that path. The plan was not really to start living in America. So when I started college here, the financial situation of that became very clear very quickly that, you know, I was, unless I wanted to be in debt for the rest of my life, going to need to kind of work at the same time as going to school. So when I started school, I also started working full time as an executive assistant for a company in Seward. So I worked while I was in school. I was very stressed for about 10 years of my life, but you know, it, it worked out because I think I was able to have real world experience at the same time as going to school. And I managed that. I did a couple classes in person, but I think my homeschooler brain took over and I eventually just switched to online classes because I could self-pace. Wow. And the social side of it wasn't that important to me at that point, because if I wanted to make friends, I could make them at work. So I mean, it's a good point. Yeah. Because really that's kind of the trajectory of life. First, you make friends at school and mm-hmm. then some people you keep up with for the rest of your life, but majority of times you're friends with who you're around. Exactly. And so you kind of transition from one stage to the next. Your mm-hmm. high school friends, your college friends, and your work friends. Yep. Exactly. That's so interesting. So just like off the top of your head, so we, we discussed like, for example, that's a big difference is college mm-hmm. in America versus Europe. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other like drastic differences that you've seen, pros and cons for both? I would say um, one of the first kind of shocks is like the income tax over there. So when I graduated with my undergrad and then got my first MBA at Linda Wood, um, 
I kind of while I was going through my divorce thought, oh gosh, okay, I'm going to apply for a, um, a job in Europe. I'm going to get away from here and I can do this. And I did get a job offer um, for an awesome job that would have been amazing. And it was about, I think, a $60,000 job offer, which is phenomenal. It's great. Yeah, but it's um, the reality is that you have about a 50 to 52% income tax. So all of a sudden, that $50,000 job, you're not really taking home $50,000. You're taking home, you know, 52% less of that. Now... So they're... Wow. Yeah. So now you're, you know, you are getting... Everywhere in Europe? uh, It depends on each country. So like the Netherlands will have a different tax than Germany. um, And then it depends on if you're religious, like if you're uh, Christian, if you're Protestant or Catholic, then they usually tack on a religious tax to that. Um, the last time I checked it a couple of years ago, I think it was like 7%, um, but I haven't checked in a couple of years, so I'm not sure. The... So you get, so if you're not religious, you get taxed less. Yes, which is also why religion is failing in Europe in a lot of ways. If you want to get uh, married, buried, or baptized in a Christian church, you have to make sure that you're paying taxes. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. So where where do all those taxes go? Like, what makes it worth it? So obviously, there's free mm-hmm. college. Yes, uh, free college. Um, healthcare is covered. Um, for the churches, it, it goes directly to the church. So you know, maintaining this, the beautiful old European cathedrals, which I'm sure is not cheap, um, but it it basically goes to the state um, to pay for different things. However, there's a lot of other benefits, like um, there's the child benefit in Germany. Um, Having children is dropping drastically over there. So um, a couple years ago, I think it was Angela Merkel, uh, the chancellor at the time, put something in place where per child, um, you get between $1,800 to $2,500 a month per child as a stipend for the child. Um, I think it's until they turn 23 or 24. Wow. So it, you know, it benefits you to have children. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of social pro- problems that come along with that. Um, I've, there's a lot of kids that live on the street in Germany because they have bad relationships at home and their parents kick them out and they pocket the money because the state sends the money to the parents, not the children. Wow. So for every awesome thing, there's, of course... A negative thing too that they're not talking about yeah. so it's it's kind of a however you want to see it um i'm a dutch and american dual citizen mm-hmm. so i don't necessarily see a financial benefit of that because i don't earn or pay taxes in the netherlands um however my husband has crohn's disease and we often talk about the fact that if a serious surgery were ever needed or if he were ever to need like extensive medical care that would normally bankrupt you in America uh, because it's just completely out of control as far as costs are here, we'll jump on a plane and, and go get some care over there. So uh, we wouldn't have to pay, you know, hardly anything uh, for him to get proper care over there. So and so because he's married to you, he mm-hmm. has that benefit. Correct. And after wow. seven years of being married to me, um, which we're going on almost three now, um, he will actually be able to be a full citizen. So he can be a citizen oh. in his own right. And it passes down to our children. Wow. So there's a benefit. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. So Gets to give it to them. Yeah. That's kind of a little, a little bonus. And then I feel like this is for sure such a huge stereotype, mm-hmm. but there is this stereotype about Europeans that they have such a more relaxed way about life. Yes. That's... Is that because they get 52% of their income tax? <laughs> but they're I, like, well... I mean, I think it's a good point. I'm not sure if it's necessarily that, but I would say the HR climate is very different. Um, you know, when I talk to my family and they say, hey, do you want to come visit? I say, I don't have the PTO. I have, you know, 10 days of PTO this year. Their jaw just hits the floor. Um, 
I mean, my aunt had a cold a couple years ago, and the doctor, without hesitation, gave her two months off work. Two months for a cold? Two months for a cold until she felt better. Wow. And that, that's a bit extreme, mm-hmm. but I think realistically, you know, you have several several public holidays. You have church holidays. Um, they're just not individual PTO calendar, but just their holidays, I mean, double or triple hours. And... Um, they're not just German national holidays. They're Christian holidays. They're Turkish holidays. They're Muslim holidays. I mean, Ramadan in Germany, everyone is off, not just, you know, Muslims. Yeah. Um, you could choose to work, of course, but you you are able to be off. Um, Oktoberfest every year, you know, a lot of companies just give people time off to enjoy time with their families. It's a slower time culture. Um, it's more about enjoying yourself, enjoying your life. Uh, companies can't ask a lot of the questions they ask here. Um, HR is just a completely different beast. Um, it's, it's honestly kind of depressing to think about. Um, but then again, we have much higher salaries. So we have the option that, you know, you can make a hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred fifty thousand dollars in America a lot easier than you can in Germany. Um, that amount of money, I mean, would make any of my family blush if they thought that they were ever able to make that much money they have the capability but those are the much much higher executive paying jobs whereas here you know an it analyst can make that and then some right i've also heard that it's much easier in america to get the job that you went to school for correct yeah why is that i think they're um you know, it depends on what you want to go to school for. But in Germany, if you want to be a baker and work in a bakery, it's a seven-year technical education. Seven years? Seven years. If you want to be a doctor, I mean, you're looking at 30 years of your life. If you want to be a lawyer, um, you're looking at about 30 years of your life. Um, they're just a lot more harsher. Um, the exam, for example, to be a lawyer in Germany is called a Staatsexamen. And you get two chances. That is it. And, you know, you have to go through seven years of schooling just to be able to get to the point to be able to take that exam. And then once you take your exam, you're still not done, but you have to pass that exam to become a lawyer. Here, I mean, I know a couple lawyers, you can take the bar a couple of times, depending on what state you're in. And, you know, once you take it in one state, you can take it in a couple more states. In Germany, you get two chances and that's it. So I think the pressure on us is a lot higher but because of that we have a lot more freedom and and life quality in a couple ways so i would prefer to work here though yeah that's what i was going to ask you now that you know and you've truly experienced like being european and then Mm -hmm. being american if you had a choice where to raise your future family where would you prefer to raise them i think here um there a lot of the the old school ways of thinking are still really kind of pushed into things. Um, first time I took my husband over, um, we you know woke up on the Sunday morning. He's like, hey, let, let's go to the grocery store and get coffee. And I was like, I'm sorry, it's Sunday. Germany is a very Catholic nation. Everything's closed. Like nothing is open. We can go to the church. That's about it. Wow. So it's great because you can be more relaxed, but raising my children and kind of more of the multicultural understanding way of things, I would rather raise them in America because they're just there are more cultures and there's more understanding for cultures here, even though we have, you know, a lot of racism and hatred that is, of course, throughout the culture. I think here they have more options to speak their mind and to kind of find their own path. Whereas over there, you kind of get slotted into a couple different societal groups and that's it. 
Um, I'm sure you've seen just like a lot of people have been talking like on TikTok or Instagram mm-hmm. and they're saying just honestly politically from both sides people mm-hmm. are just fed up with the US Yep. and do you think that that's a fair statement to make or are these people just really ignorant because they don't know what life is like in other places in the world that's a really good question um, I think it's a combination so I think the way that America doesn't understand, or most Americans don't understand, even the ones that have been, you know, to Europe or overseas, um, I think there's kind of a couple differences, right? So there's the couple Americans that go over, and no shade, but the ones that go over on their high school trips that have their tour guides, and, you know, I've been to Rome, I've been to Germany, I've been to all these places. You've been, but you've seen a very small, very kind of polished little version of it you haven't really seen the people you haven't anthony bourdained it you know in a way yeah um i think what people don't understand is that america internationally we are looked at as a great leader so when we do something stupid even if it's not all of us even if it's just one person on tv the entire world looks at us and goes what the heck are they doing um you know, politically, no matter what side you're on, I remember when I was younger, and I think President George Bush waved at Stevie Wonder. And unfortunate, but I remember, like in America, it was a quick blip in the news and you're done. In Germany, it was belittled for months because any excuse that they got to kind of bash us, and it was extrapolated and talked about and gossiped about. So when we do something little that for us is just like, eh, it's you know, it's just another news blip until the next news cycle turns over. We don't understand and we don't see that at the global level, it's so much of a bigger impact. And I think that's something we don't really see unless we've lived over there for a while. Um, There's a lot of other benefits to being over there. Like I think American news media doesn't cover international news properly. Um, I literally have to look at, you know, Russian news specifically or Al Jazeera or just other news to be able to see what else is going on in the world because CSNBC or Fox News they don't really cover international yeah and if they do it's through a very um closed lens yes through a very specific opinion yeah and it fits you know whatever narrative you're choosing to watch which is okay but I think the one thing that people just need to remember is to make up their own minds if you see something and it's interesting to you you want to have an opinion on it research it from multiple angles don't just kind of think okay well I always watch NBC so I'm just going to listen to what they say look at it from what is Russian news saying about it what's you know Muslim news saying about it take a look at all the other opinions as well so I think that's kind of what I grew up doing um my mom's best friend had a little sticker in her house and it said, you know, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. And she's a reporter. So she always fact checked everything. And I think that kind of stuck with me more than I realized later in life because, you know, yeah, Bush waved at Stevie Wonder. Did he really? Is that just what the German news media is spreading? Cause they're trying to make America look like idiots. Um, because over here it was two seconds and it wasn't even what really, you know, kind of happened in that situation. So just kind of digging into things, not seeing its face value, I think helps. Yeah. I hope people understand that. Cause I, I unfortunately have heard more and more people say that they get their news from TikTok, mm-hmm. which is terrifying. It is. Because that's how long is a TikTok? 
real anyway. 30 seconds. 30 at mm-hmm. best. Yeah. And then people are just like, oh, that makes sense. Or if it's an influencer who they really like, they'll just follow what that person says mm-hmm. without doing any research on their own. Yeah. And I think scary. Yeah. It says a lot about like my generation and younger. I think I'm like the first year of, of Z as it were, but, um, you know, we don't have a very big attention span because we have so much going on at once. We have so many different media outlets. We have Instagram, we have TikTok, Twitter, we have jobs, we have families. Like there's so much going on that we don't have more than 30 seconds. But I would just say if you only have 30 seconds, make sure that you're really educating yourself in 30 seconds, not just listening to the void. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Mm. Um, Before we end, Mm -hmm. I just want to jump right back to our initial story. Mm -hmm. Just because from my, my perspective, so they started teaching us in school about the Holocaust at a very, very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where, you know how like school give you summer reading mm-hmm. that you're supposed to do every summer? Mm-hmm. So starting in fifth grade, we had to read two Holocaust books every summer. Wow. And they could not be the same ones. So each okay. year it had to be a different one, mm-hmm. which... I don't know. Was that too young? I kind of think for me it might have been because mm-hmm. it's such formative years and yes. you're so young and it was just the way they're written. It's very like in your face mm-hmm. and it was terrifying. Like I think it definitely traumatized me mm-hmm. and made me kind of stick to my insular bubble more mm-hmm. because there's just so much fear about all the yep. hatred that's out there. Mm-hmm. And it is out there. Not it gonna, is. I'm oh, not yeah. going to lie that it's not out there. Yeah, still very much so. So that makes me like wonder about your your grandmother when she met your grandfather how old was she 16 she was 16 he was 18 he was 18 mm-hmm. when did she find out that he had been a nazi i mean i think pretty quickly i'm not sure if that was like a first date conversation of hey i you know i served and i got thrown out but you're really cute you know i don't know how mm. that kind of came up but um i think a lot of power to her for back then already kind of making up her own mind yeah um i think the women in my family are really stubborn um so when we kind of set our minds to something it doesn't matter if someone tells us it's a bad idea we make up our own minds i can relate so it's a a good kind of trait i'm not not mad at it yeah so i think it's also really beautiful how much you own both sides Mm -hmm. of your family history like you're very proud of your jewish heritage Mm -hmm. but you're also very proud of your german heritage Mm -hmm. which i think is really really cool Thank you. So I think your grandparents really did a good job creating that legacy that they mm-hmm. passed down from generation to generation. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. And I think it's like what you were saying with the, the books um, at an early age. It's, I think, very important to pass down and not forget what happened. Um, because even now in Germany, you know, when you pass by old buildings, you see bullet holes from where they would line people up. You still have the concentration camps that they've rebuilt in ways that you can go see them. But even, you know, I took my husband to Dachau the first time um, on our last trip over there because, I mean, I don't want to go. Um, it's it's horrible when you stand there. It just, it it, yeah. it kills you inside. Like they say never forget, but yeah. a part of you, that's all you want to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, my husband's a photographer, and when we were there, I said, do you, you want to take pictures? And he was like, I, I can't. I can't do it. I can't, you know, I just, it's so, it's so hurtful to think what would happen to people here, but it never fails that there's tourists that stand there and throw up a peace sign and smile and pose. And I think it's so important to not just not forget, but just keep that reverence and the respect for it. Because that's what, if we lose the respect for what happened, it's going to happen again. So, yeah. Well, more power to you. Thank you. 
Um, I really could talk to you all night. Honestly, <laughs> I, I know there's so much more to you. We barely like scratched the surface. Yeah, but part two. I appreciate the fact, you know, you said you don't really like to talk about yourself, but I, I really appreciate that we took the time to just take a moment and reflect on Absolutely. your grandparents' story, mm-hmm. your story, and you've added so much value to this podcast. Thank you. I definitely want to have you back as a repeat. Thank you. And I can't wait to hear all the other episodes. I so know. exciting. I know. I'm stockpiling right now because I, I want to master my craft before I release it to the world. <laughs> But um, before I end, I have a tradition Mm -hmm. that I want to do, which is this whole podcast, there's this Hebrew quote, which says, um, which means one who is wise is one who learns from everyone. Love that. So can you share something either that someone's taught you or is a quote that is near and dear to your heart that has left an impact on you? Yes. Um, Albert Einstein said, try not to be a person of success, be a person of value. And I think that really resonates because looking at my family's history, looking at my own history, there's so many times when you think, oh, I've got it. I'm doing it. You know, I'm, I'm killing it right now in life. But realistically, success can be taken away from you at any time. Um, but if you build up your own value, no one can take that away. So. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. See, Thank I knew you. the quote before we even said this, <laughs> but I didn't know where you were going with it. Ah, yeah, it's so good. It's on my mirror in the bathroom, so amazing yeah well thank you so much thank you this has been fun well thanks guys for listening um you you could find jew from the loo on tiktok instagram Mm -hmm. youtube apple Podcasts, spotify and iHeartRadio. so thank you guys so much for listening and we'll tune in next time